tell him? Yes. Oh, okay. I missed it. Good morning. As most of you could figure out, I'm not Parker Johnson. Uh, <clears throat> we're similar in age, and that's where it ends. Uh, I'm sorry that Parker and many others are, are sick this morning, and uh, I rejoice in Parker being our pastor here, and I, I'd like to take every opportunity I can to say that, to say it publicly, and I bless him and his family, and I pray for their recovery, as well as Kyle and his family, too. And I ask you to take your Bibles, and this is, going, this is not going to be your typical Christmas sermon, but you already figured that out when you saw who was bringing it. Uh, I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, which, of course, is the Christmas story. But I also want you to put your finger there, and of all places, I want you to go to Revelation 13. Revelation 13, and I'm going to pray before I read the scripture, and then we will uh, go through the sermon as the Lord blesses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we've gathered in this place not to hear opinions of men. Uh, we're not here to be entertained. We're not here to uh, have our ears tickled. But I pray that we are here to hear the whisper of God in our ears and our hearts. May your Holy Spirit speak. Heavenly Father, I stand before this congregation. I'm just a man. Men are prone to failure. So my prayer is, and usually is, that you would either speak through me or in spite of me, but in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God, speak, Lord, this morning. May your word come alive. May you activate it to our hearts. We so need to hear the good news of the gospel. We so need to hear what you have been doing all along in our lives. We so need to have hope in Christ. Deliver that to us, to our hearts this morning. I pray your special blessings on all who are listening to this or watching this through whatever means. And I bless them as well. And we pray that they could again join with us. And these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to begin in odd scripture, Revelation chapter 13. I want you to stay with me on this. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not a feel-good Christmas scripture, but we will get there yet. However, in chapter 13, it describes the great tribulation and the beast of Antichrist being unleashed for a time. That's not good news to those who will go through it. Nevertheless, Listen, beginning in verse 7, or read along, if you will, all the way through verse 9. <clears throat> also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, talking about the beast. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Well, there's a lot in that, and I'm coming back to it. But I want you to consider of the irony of how God chooses what God chooses. In fact, the title of the sermon would be God Chose. It seems ironic for God to give Adam the liberty to choose sin over obedience or for God to separate himself from mankind when Adam makes the wrong choice. That seems ironic, and yet long long before creating Adam. 
long before the world was created, God established a divine plan to redeem fallen man back to himself, and our reading just confirmed it. I'm going to show you that. Look back at Revelation 13, 8. It says, and all, now there's a clarifier there, so stay with it, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, the beast of the Antichrist. Now listen carefully to what follows, though. Here's the clarifier. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. All those names who have not been written, past tense, in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, past tense, will worship the beast, future tense. Now there's two specific truths I would pray that you would glean from Revelation 13, 8, among others. And the first would be this. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was predestined by God the Father before planet Earth was ever created. In Genesis 3, we see God shedding the blood of animals to make a covering of skins for Adam and Eve, symbolic of the shedding of blood for sin. He's going to take that blood message all the way through because in uh, the uh, Exodus Passover, he continues to mirror that act of the blood covering sin. And then he continues through the fullness of time when God's virgin-born son, Jesus of Nazareth, was born in Bethlehem all the way to Jesus' death on Calvary's cross. The blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, all the way. Never a moment, never for a moment think that the crucifixion of Jesus the Christ was merely an act of men. It was a fulfillment of God's eternal plan to reconcile his fallen children back to himself by the blood of his son. Isaiah wrote many years before Christ was born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah 53, 10, Yet it was the will of the Father, the will of the Lord, to crush him, him, the suffering Messiah, the Lamb of God, Christ. He, God the Father, has put him, God the Son, to grief. Who put him on the cross? You can say our sins put him there. Yes, yes. He died because of our sins. But God preordained for Christ to be on the cross. The second point from Revelation 13, 8 is this. If all, we read that, whose names are not, we read that, written in the book of life will worship the beast, then you have to turn it around backwards. Conversely, say this. All of God's elect whose names were written down in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world, will not worship the beast. Very interesting. Very interesting. We were just told that the Lamb's book of life was written out before the foundations of the world were set. I hope you caught that. There's an old church song, and I love to sing it. I love the tune. Uh, it says, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. Oh, no, it ain't. That's a great song, but it's theologically bankrupt. Because those redeemed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ had their names written down before they were a gleam in their earthly daddy's eye. Jesus' crucifixion was initiated in eternity but fulfilled on the cross of Jesus Christ, meaning your election, my election, was finished long, long ago but revealed when you professed Christ publicly. 
It was a fulfillment. And one last point on that, and you'd want to know this. If you were a Jew in Jesus' day, in fact, all the way back from before Moses, if you were born in a particular village, didn't matter, Nazareth, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, if you were born in a particular village, your name was recorded in that town's book of life or the book of the living. And that name remained there all your life until when you passed away, your name was blotted out. Your name was blotted out. The book of life or the book of the living. Which explains Moses' startling plea with God on behalf of the Hebrews under his leadership in Exodus 32, verse 32, when he said to the Lord, he's pleading for, for the Lord not to destroy the Israelites and to raise up a, a tribe from Moses. He said, but now, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, notice this, this is most incredible. Please blot me out of your book that you have written, past tense, have written. That's the equivalent of Paul saying, I am willing to be damned if it meant the salvation of the Jews. Amazing. Incredible. But notice God's response in the next verse. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. You notice the blot there? The blot, the book, the blot. Now those last words that God just said might concern some. Were it not for Colossians 2.13, and I'm reading out of the King James because it's, it, it's, it's easy to clarify on that verse, where Paul says, And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he, Jesus, quickened, meaning made alive, hath Jesus made alive with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross that is a beautiful verse that is a joyful verse in other words as another song said the old account was settled long ago the old account was settled long ago now look in Luke chapter 2 where you have your finger Verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town and Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed who was with child. There's an old saying how odd for God to choose the Jews. How odd for God to choose the Jews. God's oddities in his choices don't begin to stop with the Jews. Consider how odd of God to choose Roman taxation and census to place Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy or God choosing a teenage girl to be the mother of the king of kings. How odd. We've heard the Christmas story so long, sometimes we miss the irony. Consider that God chose a stable for his son to be born in. Sovereign God chose every component of his son's birth, just as God chose every component of your life. God's sovereignty is glaringly apparent, and especially 
at Christmas. I want to make a point here. I grew up on a cattle farm. It wasn't a monster cattle farm, but it was a cattle farm. And uh, I was around cows the better part of my life. Many of you, I know, also fed uh, animals in, in an old wooden trough where they slobber and lick up every kernel of corn with their tongues. Is that the place you would have chosen for your son to be born? Well, God did. Now hold on to that thought. I'm going to come back to that. But instead of beautiful blankets, baby Jesus was wrapped in torn strips of rags we give them the, the, the uh, poetic name swaddling clothes. King James gave them that, the swaddling clothes. That sounds so appropriate, so proper. It was nothing but strips of rags wrapped around the baby from head to foot like a mummy. The baby's hands and arms were down by his side. His feet were together. And they wrapped him up that way, looked like a papoose. And uh, actually, they rubbed the rags with salt to keep infection down. But, but God chose that. And we wonder why until we remember on Easter morning that Jesus rose from the dead and those mummy-type wrappings were wrapped around him and yet now they were laying on the stone slab. Even the same way that the gold frankincense and myrrh, we always thought, wow, that's great. In fact, we know that that was used in part, or, or it's implied that it was used in part to finance Mary, Joseph, and Jesus going fleeing to Egypt. They had to have finances, and so that, that helped. But that's not what those spices were ever intended for originally. Those three spices were intended for burial spices. They always were. Echoing the cross from the birth of Christ. And no midwife was present. Just young Joseph, who like Butterfly McQueen and Gone with the Wind, knew nothing about no baby birthing. Animals witnessed the childbirth. Shepherds, who were considered the second lowest of the lowest in society, God chose to be the first visitors. In fact, those were the ones who heard the herald sing of the angels. Just so you know, fishermen and tanners were the lowest, but God saved them for disciples and helpers later in the Newer Testament. Bringing forth a child in more humble beginnings would have been nearly impossible, yet God chose it all even as he chose the cross. I heard a, an evangelist say a long time ago, he said, I do not love anyone enough for them to take my child and drag them out and nail them to boards leaving them to die to spare the life of someone else. He said, I don't love anyone that much, but God did, and God does, and we were the ones. We were the ones Jesus came to die for, laying down his life to buy our pardon. God did all of that in eternity past. Now, let's go back to the manger. I don't have, really have a bone to pick with the manger, but I've noticed that many nativity scenes show it with a pointed bottom. I think it's easier to make that way. But for those of you that fed animals, especially cattle, but also this would apply to sheep as well, or goats, a feed trough has a flat bottom because if you didn't, the, the kernels would all collect down in the crack at the bottom. 
So it's got a flat bottom, and the cows can collect all the grain out of the bottom of the trough. And feed troughs, historically, therefore, have flat bottoms and sides that slope outward, which is far more practical, and not just practical, I want you to think about this, but reflective of another item of similar shape. You ladies know this, a bread pan. A bread pan. Which blesses my heart when I hear Jesus say in John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The bread. The bread. God chose a feed trough to present his bread broken for mankind. You may or may not be familiar with the Mark Harris song from Joseph's perspective, but I want you to listen to the lyrics. I don't know if you've heard it before. It starts this way. He's talking about Joseph at the stable. I'm sure he must have been surprised of where this road had taken him because never in a million lives would he have dreamed of Bethlehem. And standing at the manger, he saw with his own eyes the message from the angel come to life. And Joseph said, why me? I'm just a simple man of trade. Why him? With all the rulers in the world, why here? Inside this stable filled with hay, why her? She's just an ordinary girl. And now I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say. But this is such a strange way to save the world. Isn't it? Isn't it strange? What God chose and how he chose it. He had every option, you realize. The one who spoke the worlds into being by the word of his power had every option. And he chose this way. And he chose Bethlehem, and he chose the stable, and he chose the cross. It's not such a strange way to save the world. So often we lean unto our own understanding instead of believing Romans 8.28 being absolutely true. All things do work together for good to those who love the Lord and are the called according to, don't miss this, his purpose. Becoming so excited about our being the called, we sometimes miss our calling being for his purpose. Jesus came to fulfill God's purpose. He came to fulfill God's will. Along with Jesus' suffering, consider Joseph and Mary's suffering, both publicly shamed by accusations of immorality before marriage, both watching Jesus be slandered constantly as long as Joseph lived, and for Mary, she saw him executed as a criminal. Simeon, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied as much when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus eight days old to the temple for circumcision. Luke 2.34, I'll read it to you. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword, speaking to Mary, 
and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. In effect, Mary, Jesus will break your heart in route to saving the world. Nowhere in that is prosperity doctrine, easy believism, or cheap grace. Obedience to God is often difficult, it's frequently painful, but it's always right. And Jesus told us in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, life's rough. Life's, life's difficult for a Christian, for a non-Christian. We have, we have hope that the non-Christian does not have, and we pray that they would know that hope through Christ. But sometimes it's hard. In fact, in 1500s, all, all the way back then, there was a Catholic nun named Teresa who famously said, and I'm paraphrasing, Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them. And you've had that thought in honest moments. It's like, why, why, is, why is this life so difficult? I mean, I have Jesus. I have the promises of the Word of God. I, in Him, everything is yea and amen. And yet, some days it's a slog. Some days it's difficult. Sometimes, sometimes we grow weary and well-doing. Sometimes we look at a prayer list and go, I don't know. I don't know if I can get through this. I have, uh, I have an internal prayer list that I don't know how long it is. I haven't ever written it out, but it's a long prayer list of, of people. Of course, my family uh, is, is foremost, but I have a long prayer list that I pray beside my bed, and then I go to my office, and I have a four-page written prayer list. And, and, you know, I used to wonder when I was a kid, pe people would sing that song, Sweet Hour of Prayer, and I thought, how in the world would you pray for an hour? Now I wonder, how in the world would you not pray for an hour? There are so many hurting, not just in our church, but look at our church. There are so many needy. There are so many who are troubled. There are so many without hope, and we have that hope. We have that hope, and yet sometimes even we're discouraged. The hope is in Christ. In our most honest moments, we may think similar thoughts, and yet God does not condemn honest inquiry. If he did, half of the Davidic Psalms would be missing. Instead, each time David threw himself on God's mercy, finding temporal relief and eternal hope. Eternal hope. Then let me, with that intro, let me ask this, speaking of eternity. How do you define in your life to yourself eternal life? In his book, The Saving Life of Christ, Major Ian Thomas, you've heard me quote him before in a different context, he states this, and I think it's so wonderful. If your concept of eternal life starts when you die, you have misunderstood. That in itself is a major statement. Jesus lived a life committed to God to the point that when God the Father said, whatever God the Father said, God the Son said. What God the Father did God the Son did. Now hold on just a second. Your natural inclination is to run ahead and say, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. What God says, I'm going to say, and what God does, I'm going to do. No, you're not Jesus. It gets better than that. You have him living inside of you by the Holy Spirit. 
So when we take it to the next step where we are in Christ, with Jesus now living within every true convert through God the Holy Spirit, so that the normal Christian life is this. Jesus says it and Jesus does it through me. Oh, that's good. That's good. Let me just, it's not in my notes, but just give me just a second on this one. If you struggle with witnessing Jesus to someone, and I think everyone, I think every Christian at some level struggles, some have major struggles, some smaller. Can I tell you how to find relief? Here's what you pray. You, You pray, Heavenly Father, help me to witness Jesus Christ to others in a positive way. Put people in my path to witness to. And when you give me those opportunities, notice this, I ask that you speak through me to your glory and leave it there. Because what you'll find is you'll be in the, in the grocery line at Walmart or wherever you shop, pick and say, piggly wiggly. And there will be an opportunity. You weren't playing. You, you're sitting there thinking about what you just had to pay for ground beef. And you're not, you're not thinking... Gee, maybe I get a chance to witness to the guy in front of me. And maybe, or maybe it's a lady in front of you, and maybe, let's just say for sake, maybe she's got like $15 worth of items in the checkout, and when the cashier rings it up, the cashier tells her, and she says, oh, I'll have to put it back. You ever had that happen? I've seen that. If you have the means, and usually God will have already put it in your pocket, Say, wait, I'll take care of that. And when she turns to you or he turns to you with gratitude, say, I did that in Jesus' name. I did that in Jesus' name. Now, they may, they may initiate a longer conversation as y'all go out the door. You may not see them again. That's not the point. That's not your job. Your job is to let Jesus work through you at that moment. It's so wonderful. And you'll walk out with a spring in your step. You won't miss that $15, but you will, you will just, all the rest of the day, you will just have joy unspeakable and full of glory. And you'll think, thank you, Lord, for that opportunity. And he'll put more in your path, more in your path. Luke 2.13, and we're coming to the end. Stay with me. And suddenly... There was with the angel multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, I like that ESV translation because uh, the King James, and I love the King James, but the King James says peace on earth and to men of good, uh, uh, and goodwill to men. And if you look it up, you start dissecting that in, in, the, in the Greek, it basically says to men of goodwill. So this is a better translation in that regard. Looking at the evil in the world, you may ask, I may ask, where is the promised peace? Where is the peace at? Well, remember this. All evil results from Adam's fall, and earth will experience what what Paul referred to in Romans 8 as birth pains until Christ's return. However, in the hearts of us for whom Christ died, peace is not just possible. Peace is assured. Now listen carefully. You know this. You have the Holy Spirit within you. And Galatians 5.22, some of you have it memorized. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. In fact, let me just, just say this. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? It means you get them all. It's not parsed out. It, you don't get peace and you don't get faithfulness and so on. No, no. Those in Christ have been given the fruit of the Holy Spirit and it manifests through us because Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. We know peace when we're filled with the Holy Spirit as the elect of God. Jesus will bring peace on earth when he returns, but until that time, he brings peace in us. Peace in us. I close with this. The Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, includes uh, this line. Let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. Which is my prayer for all of you here and all of the, you listening or watching. Not the chrome-plated microwave Ronco Christmas that society promises, but true Christ mass, which is what the word means, a celebration of Christ. By the divine calling of God in every heart equipped to prepare Jesus' room. I close with this thought. God the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christmas. If you're wanting the Spirit of Christmas, you have Him within you. The Spirit of Christmas is the Holy Spirit. There's no other Spirit of Christmas. Forget whatever Dickens wrote. I'm telling you, there's no other such thing. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the light of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how good of you to choose the way that you chose to send Jesus to be born, not to become a great king, not yet, not yet, not to uh, rule and reign over nations, not yet, not yet, to be born the most helpless of the helpless so we would recognize our own helplessness and our need for you, Lord, through him. And how wonderful, how horribly wonderful, horribly wonderful that you chose the cross. We cringe, we look away, we can't stand to bear the thought of one we love so much hurting and dying for us, and yet he did. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And forever, he will be the light of the world now and when he returns. And we celebrate him in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, I'm going to lead you in this hymn. I uh, sprung this on the choir, and I sprung it on Diane and Jan, and, and uh, it's a very old song, but I love it, and it's a good song, and it fits the ending of the sermon, and we will sing only verses one and two. We will sing the refrain twice, after the first and after the second, but only verses one and two, but I will lead you in this. Would you please stand?
May the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace through Jesus Christ. In his name, go forth. Amen. Amen. Amen.